Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Super cool guest this week. I have been following her for probably about a year now, joining in her community on Thursday Night Sales and soaking up so much knowledge and wisdom. Uh, Amy Volus, with more than $100 million in revenue sold, is the founder of Avenue Talent Partners. Uh, she's one of LinkedIn's top sales voices. She's a co-founder of Thursday Night Sales. It's free. Join us, thursdaynightsales.com, every Thursday night. If you're joining us for five minutes or five hours, it's all great. And she's one of Sales Hackers' most dynamic women in sales. She is a sales fanatic turned entrepreneur. She was bitten by the startup bug many moons ago and couldn't imagine spending her time anywhere else. And so she created Avenue Talent Partners to help with the tremendous and challenging task of growing startups through some of their most valuable assets, which are generating executive revenue leaders. So Amy has shown up wonderfully in the community, helping sellers and sales leaders grow and helping startups find and bring in the best sales leaders to take their companies to the next stages of growth. So we're going to get a ton of learning here. Amy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Jordan, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the invitation. And for those of you that are listening, I have a nickname for Jordan. I call him Eagle Eye. And there's a story behind that that we probably won't talk about today, but here we are. So thank you. <laughs> I love it. We're, we're going to have a blast. Is just the, the way you've shown up for the community, the way you're showing up for sellers across all stages of their career uh, and startups, you know, really thinking about how do they scale is really powerful. And I always love starting off understanding what was a, a big learning throughout your career that really impacted how you show up and how you lead uh, today? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because there are a lot of moments, but I think the biggest one was I was in my early 30s. I was going through something personally. It had nothing even to do with my career at the time. And what I found out was it's all sort of interconnected, right? How you are in one part of your life usually bleeds over into the other and, and so on and so forth. And I, I noticed a really big difference in the way that I was feeling and just sort of like my responses or reactions to, to just life and things. And so uh, it was when I sought out my therapist who has been with me for over a decade. Um, and she was the catalyst to a lot of self-realization that helps me be who I am today, which is a very same person, just a different version, a better version, I'd like to say, and really cueing into understanding a lot about the human condition, how I show up, self-awareness, how other people show up, seeking to understand all the stuff that I talk about that uh, when I thought about this question, that's the first thing that popped up. It's so powerful. And, and we just came out of Mental Health Awareness Month. And I, I think for so long, people have been afraid or thinking they have to be broken in order to go find support or therapy. And hearing you then connect that to same person, but a better version of myself aligns so nicely with this 
concept that I talk with folks about around building your own operating system and updating that to say, okay, knowing what I know today, how do I grow? And hearing you talk about self-awareness, self-realization, I, I think are powerful traits for leaders. And I, I'm curious, what are some of those things you do through the therapist or, or outside of uh, you know, a therapy session to, to help you kind of continue to build and update that version of yourself? I mean, I, I think it's like, it's iterative, right? So it's like some of the same things. And sometimes I have to relearn the things that I thought that I learned before, or I'm learning them in a different way because I'm a different, like I'm in a different season of my life or stage of my life where there's a different scenario. Um, and she really, really helped me and continues to remember the fact that we all have feelings about stuff and the feelings are, they're not wrong and they're not, they're not right. They just are. And it's really about what we do with them. And when feelings come up, you may not even realize that the feelings are coming up or that there's something going on, but to look for the signals and to, to think about it as a signal and then to figure out what you want to do with that signal. I mean, literally I just did this today where it's like, why do I, you know, something came up and it's like, and I don't really love that it's even up. And it's like, why, why do I really think about that? And why am I really feeling that way? And it's just stopping to think and to start putting some language or descriptors around what the feelings are. And all of a sudden, as I'm thinking about this, the root came up. And I think when we understand the root of the feeling, whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, and usually let's be real, it's mostly about the stuff that's hard or it's bad. When we're feeling lovely, we're not stopping to question ourselves. Like I feel really great right now. Why? Um, and maybe you are, and that's great. But I think usually when we feel great, great amounts of joy or happiness, or we're operating on all cylinders or whatever you want to say, I don't think that we're stopping to reflect in the same manner. Maybe we are, but mm. it's going to be different when it is hard or when it is stressful or when it is painful or any of those things or all of those things at the same time. That's when I feel like it's super impactful because the initial, I find for me, at least the initial thing or signal that I'm thinking about often isn't Mm. at all what the root is. And when we know what the root is, when I know what the root is, I can actually do something powerful with that to help myself or to figure out what to do from there. And that helps me get better and it helps people around me be better in my life and vice versa. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. I, I love this because, and maybe it's just because I look at everything from a sales lens, but I, I feel like that translates so closely to sales where you think about talking to a buyer, first pain point, they tell you it probably isn't the root of it. Yeah. And I, I think so much of this is in sales is so closely related to getting better at sales. You get better at life because being able to introspect and reflect and understand, you know, what fills me up, what brings me down is critical for us as humans naturally, but also as we think about a buyer that's trying to either solve a pain point or move to a desired future state, usually there's some more depth than what we get in that first answer. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of close stuff in there, which is cool. I, I'd be curious as you kind of think about these types of 
conversations that you have uh, with sales leaders and or with startup founders looking for sales leaders, what are some of those qualities or types of conversations that you're having that startup founders are looking for? You know, what are, what are some of the key qualities that you think they either miss uh, or you would like to see more founders looking after? Um, I don't think it's a hard question to ask because everybody's different, mm. but I also think that's part of the answer is um, it's easier to lump something into a general category than it is to figure it out for yourself. Therapy, hiring, sales, and I think there's so much advice, like advice at scale, like there's never been, whether it's a blog posting, a podcast, a LinkedIn posting, a comment, uh, whatever, you know, unsolicited, solicited, whatever it might be. There's a lot to, to just sort of filter through. And there are really big voices in the startup community that have had really great success and some not so much, but they have really great voices that they use. And because that's like the, the go-to person to read, then that's got to be the Holy Grail of the Bible that we, that we mm. subscribe to. And so I think it's more like group think. There's two things, really. One is group think and one is fear-based decision-making, like being very afraid of, especially with the market being a little wonky right now and correcting, there's a lot of fear going on. And so, you know, I'm answering your question, but I'm not, you're probably thinking like, she didn't answer my question. No, that's good. The thing that I'm doing with my clients when it comes to this is stopping them and really pinpointing and diagnosing, well, so you're telling me you want somebody that, um, can walk their talk, for example, that it's not just making big statements that they'll actually be able to do what we need and what they say. And my question is always, well, what does that look like? How do you know? And what I find is most people don't know what good looks like for the roles that they're hiring for at the level I deal with in any really way, shape or form is we're in such a, especially with startups, the whole narrative is you got to go fast and speed and you don't have a lot of time. And as a result, there's that pressure there. And that's all well and good. And that's true. You, you don't have infinite amounts of time and you do have to go quick. But I find that if you stop and slow down up front and you get really intentional and precise and clear about what your business is going through, what the work is to do the job well, what your buyers want what the marketplace is telling you, along with a whole host of other things, you now are real clear on what you need for your business. Not because you read somebody's blog post that ranked well in SEO that says, here's how to hire your first VP of sales and what you should pay attention to. By the way, I've written those articles. Um, <laughs> and those articles are meant to be guardrails to get you to critically think so that when you do need me and we are thinking you're already, you're not surprised and you're already thinking about some of those bits and pieces that correlate back to the task at hand. And so I think it's not even, I would be really irresponsible if I said, well, these are the five things. I have an article that talks about the 16 traits of top sales leaders. Yeah, those are all the things, but it's about how 
the collection of those things materializes to what you need and what that looks like, not just in theory, but in practice and how you show up and how the individual shows up to confirm or deny whether you make sense together or not. And that is the work that I do. That's what I care about. Mm. What are those skills do you see most leaders missing when they're trying to move into that, you know, VP of sales at a startup role? Maybe they've been a director of sales at a larger company, you know, out of some of those skills that that, uh, I saw in your post, what do you think folks miss the most? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, again, it depends. And you're going to be like, why won't you answer my question? There's 48 different kinds of leaders in tech. So sales leaders specifically in tech. So this is why I keep being evasive. And I promise I'm not trying to be. This is good. I think the biggest thing is that um, they show up with their playbook in mind. Even if in the interview process, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do a SWOT analysis and I'm going to listen. I'm going to understand. I'm going to spend time with the team. Everybody says that. How? What specifically are you paying attention to? What are you looking for? So I think it's the ability to be specific because you've mastered your craft and you know what's up. Hmm. And when you've done that, you're not talking around things. You're getting straight to the brass tacks of the things. So that's also when you're in the role too. So when you're managing up, when you're managing across, when you're managing down, when you're setting expectations, when you're dealing with special projects, when you're forecasting, when you're creating playbooks, when you're creating an onboarding plan, when you're creating a hiring plan, these are all things that you have to do. You have to be specific. Could you imagine an onboarding plan? You get hired and it's like, I just want you to do hard work. And you're like, what? Like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what do I, what do you mean? What, what do I do? It's that ability to translate your how into digestible bits and pieces that somebody can actually do something with. And that translates to how you show up in an interview to also how you show up in the role. That's like the biggest thing. Obviously, caring about people, communication, both verbally and in the written form, following through, setting the stage by the way that you show up, listening, not assuming. That's the other thing that I think a lot of sales leaders do is like, I've got my playbook. I'm not going to listen at all. I'm just going to shove it in. The thing about playbooks, I might have one, you might have one. In my mind, they're iterative. They're not like read, rinse, and repeat because everybody's business is different. And the best leaders that I know, they're always learning and tweaking as they go, given what's happening in the market or in their segment or with the team or whatever, but also for themselves and what's happening in the market, things change. And yes, the basics are the basics and they've stood up the test of time for a reason and they will, but there are parts of the basics that evolve. So the fundamental foundation is there, but it's how you can do it now, right? So like think about listening, for example. Okay, well, you wanna listen, of course. You wanna listen to your team. You wanna listen to your peers. You wanna listen to the other executives. You wanna listen to the board. You wanna listen to the CEO or the founder, you want to do all this listening. You want to listen to your buyer, of course. But when I think about the listening to the buyer, when I was coming up through the ranks, there was no way to do that really, unless you were with me on the call. So then the choruses and the gongs of the world come up and they help you do that. Awesome. So if I would have taken my old school playbook of how I listened to my team, then like the term ride along was a big deal. 
And that term is still a deal now. It just looks different of how we ride along. Sometimes it's in the traditional sense and sometimes it's in the new digital age sense, but Gong didn't exist then. And so, yes, I need to, to be part of that. It looks different. So see how I'd have to iterate that. Yep. And that's yep. the thing that it's like that, that intersection there of what's old is new, but it's how. Yeah, that, I think there's a lot of power in that. And one of the, the traits that you mentioned in that article uh, was resilience. And, and one of my favorite questions to ask guests is, how do you bounce back from a tough month or quarter? Uh, I'll, I'll also let you take this down the path of how do you guide a team on that, if that aligns better for you, in how you thinking about resilient or bouncing back from a, a tough whatever segment of time. <laughs> Um, well, for me personally, I have survived and gotten through three different really weird downturns, recessions, corrections, pandemics, whatever you want to call it. I've been through three and have come out on the other side, standing firmly and tall. That doesn't mean that it was easy. It doesn't mean that you didn't stumble, you didn't fall, you didn't hurt yourself, you didn't scrape and wound and cry and all of those things. Yes. But the thing that I've really, I, I believe this to be true, our mindset determines then what action we take that then determines what the outcome looks like. And so when I screw up and I, I do still all the time, like everybody else does, nobody's perfect. I don't care um, what anybody says. We're doing something in our lives that's not perfect and that's okay. For me, when it's hard and that's happened, I automatically think about why. So I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. Why did this happen? Um, but it's with the fact of the matter, knowing that I had a role in it. Who else had a role in it? And a lot of the time, like if you're talking about corrections or if we're talking about hard things, a lot of the time it has nothing to do with us. And I think in our mind, it has everything to do with us. And so part of that course correction is giving myself some grace and I'm my own worst enemy and my own worst critic and my own worst um, adversary. <laughs> I can beat myself up, but that also isn't cool, right? And that only just perpetuates so it's like that mindset thing. So I'll let myself wallow for like a hot sec and then that's it. So I have a rule where it's like, okay, I'll let myself be that person for a little bit. I don't like negativity and I don't like victim mentality and I don't like entitlement. Those are three things. I'm, I'm not here for that. So cool. Acknowledge it. And then I immediately go into the iteration of, okay, well, why and what is the lesson? And even if I don't know what the lesson is, I, you've heard me say this before. And if anybody has listened to me in other places, this is a common theme. It's something that I really do every day. I journal because oftentimes the story that I tell myself isn't always rooted in reality. And I look for pattern recognition of myself and my journal methodology or the way that I approach it works really well for me to show up for myself, to listen to myself, because we actually do have 99% of the answers for ourselves. We just have to listen and then fill in the blanks. So 
that is a thing that I do. And then it's to double, look, not even double. It could be quadruple. It could be say tuple down on the stuff that I can control. And it's funny how when you double down on that and you can, you, you can focus on that all the, and, and while you're doing it, don't be a jackal. So my whole thing is even when it's hard, even when I want to crawl under a rock and not come back out, I own it. Um, and I try to do it with integrity and I try to be as honest as I can be because we all mess up. And I, I genuinely think people are really cool about giving us some grace and the benefit of the doubt. What's not cool. And this is when sales leaders get fired is you have to be the hero and your ego is so far in the way that you're not upfront. You don't have accountability. You're pointing the fingers in every other direction and you're just like trying to claw your way to survive. People don't expect you to be a perfect person, but they do want to know what's up. They do expect honesty. And so I live and die by that, by that motto. We just had this happen in my business. I've never had this happen in my 25 plus years of being in the working world. And um, something really gnarly happened where in our interview process, we materialized two really wonderful candidates the one that was the strongest person for the job that accepted the job, there was a weird thing that happened where it was like a unsolicited back channel happened and it really messed things up to in um, irreparable way with the rest of the board. And we had to pull an offer and I don't like that at all. Um, I don't normally do that. Uh, in the seven years that I've had my company, we've only had to do it three times. This was the third. And um, the crazy part about it is because we were honest and it was hard and we did it with integrity and this founder was fabulous and honest um, and a person of integrity. We had a group call with the candidate, myself, Taryn, my head of recruiting, the founder, the person, and we had a real discussion. And you know what's crazy about the end of this story? Our person still is going to start there. Wow. So, like, look, somewhere along the line, something got messed up, and it wasn't about placing blame. It wasn't about being defensive. It wasn't thinking about my fee and the role is a little different. We had to reimagine it in a different way and everybody had to check their ego and it happened all the way across the table. So I think like, like attracts like, so to your question, I went off on a little bit of a tangent. What do I do? I spent a lot of time reflecting, not beating myself up, right? I'll let that happen for like a second, but there's no good in that when you just fester. Um, and I, I really control what I can control. And in that particular situation that I just shared, what I controlled was my part of the equation and the role that I ended up playing was more of mediator than anything else. And I chucked like out the window, anything that I wanted or didn't want to have happen. And I just approached it with integrity and grace, humility and honesty and kindness 
Mm. and owning those things and knowing it was going to be hard and not sugarcoating it and not making up icky excuses. And everybody was really great on the other side. So like, yeah, you can go through stuff that sucks, you know, like, look, that's a really big fee for my company that sucks. And, and that fee looks and feels very, very different as a result of this because it was the right thing to do. And that's cool. It's that. Yeah, right? totally. I, I think there's so much in this reflective process in journaling and, and understanding and navigating your own stories. I love that you use the word grace in there because I think that is just a nice way to move through the world as a whole. And I know I've seen you talk about mindset as well in this scarcity versus abundance mindset as well. And if we're approaching everything of, oh my gosh, this fee's gone, there's not enough, there's not going to be enough out there, totally focused on yourself versus your ego and your ego versus there's a ton out there. How do we show up right? How do we, I think this is why so many people love coming back to you as well because they know you're going to show up for them with honesty and with integrity. And that is what pays long-term dividends. Even if we go back to thinking about the startup world, but it's like, oh, you instantly need to drive revenue today. Sure. But how do we play the long game? And I think it's with honesty, integrity, grace, abundance, and understanding that there is a lot to go around out there if we show up the right way consistently. Yeah. I, I think simply put like a tracks like. Hmm. I think there's a lot of power in that. And knowing that we can evolve, we can iterate the version of ourselves to be more and more like what we see or what we want to be in the world is up to us. And that's one of those things that is in our control and that I've continually kind of strived for uh, as I'm continuing to learn and grow of where do I want to be? Who do I want to be? So I, I love that thought. I, this is a little bit of a different tangent, but I, I've always wanted to get your take on this. So no better, no better platform than this. So I, I've been at a lot of VC-backed startups. That's most of what I've done my career. And I just keep hearing headcount, headcount, headcount rattled off um, to the point where I think that's part of the reason why one of the startups I was at failed. I was like, yeah, we had to hire a hundred salespeople before our product was any good. And we had to force the numbers. We had to, you know, show 10x growth over X period of time for the, our, our investors. And so I've got a little bit of this like dirty feeling towards recruiting and headhunting and headcount. And so how do you think about treating this as a really like beautiful and um, wonderful profession? Because I've worked with amazing recruiters, but I have this little stigma against re recruiting. So do I, by the way, <laughs> you're, not, you're not alone. Um, look, I, I think of it this way. I don't identify being an executive search firm owner. Like that's, it's weird for me to think that. And it's why on my website, my tagline is taking the cringe out of, out of executive search. Um, there are a lot of cringe worthy moments and things that happen. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be anything that has to do with that. And for me, I think it goes back to why I'm doing this. I care deeply about my sales startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I've figured out with my skill set to be part of it in a meaningful way that drives meaningful change 
is to do something about it. And the only way that I can do something about it with my skill set and background and all those things is to, if you can't beat them, you got to join them and show them the way. And so my approach is this, it's the same thing that made me very successful in my sales career. I have not lost sight of the fact that the world goes around in the business community of what we do in sales through a little thing called people. (laughs) And so um, I care deeply about the human condition. I love the power of conversation. I tend to be someone that likes to figure out what makes somebody tick. And I'm curious about that. Um, And not just saying that I have natural curiosity. I try to actually live that and figure stuff out. And because of that, I realize that it's a two-sided coin. I don't care what market we're in. If it's an up market, if it's down market, if it's a bull or a bear, I don't care. You still have to have people to do your business when it's good, when it's bad. You have to. And the last time I checked, you don't have a business without a customer because the customer writes the check. And guess who drives that? A little thing called sales. So for all of the people listening that think sales are the second coming of the devil, yes, certainly some are. And I steer clear of those jokers, just like there are some bad founders, just like there are some bad marketers, just like there are some bad VCs, like there's bad in everything, but that's not the definition. It's like there's bad in recruiting. I'm not bad. Um, And so when I think about that, in my mind, it starts and stops with people. And ultimately, and you've heard me say this before, my lovely eagle-eyed friend, here's the thing. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all, all want to be understood. And then I've added two more things to that. We all want to be valued and validated. And even if the answer is no thank you.com because we're not aligned, that is A-OK in my book. It's the how. And so, yeah, I have to deliver. Look what I just, look at the story that I just shared with you. You want to talk about having to deliver stuff you don't want to have to deliver. It's how you do it. And so in my mind, that's the answer to your question is the fact that I care about the how. I care about the showing up. I don't look at my clients or the candidates that trust us with their careers as dollar signs. Or that if I throw up enough spaghetti against the wall, and by the way, this nonsense happens in sales too. Sales and recruiting are very, very similar. If I throw up enough spaghetti against the wall, something's going to stick and that's A-OK with me. And we know that that's alive and well. Look at your LinkedIn emails and the lead gen emails that you get and all of the rhetoric around how crappy it is and how many screenshots go around about this has got to stop and yet it still happens. There's always going to be ick. And you either decide that you want to be part of the ick or you don't want to be part of the ick. And I've made a conscious decision that I don't want to be the ick. Now, I'm sure somebody could get on your podcast and be like, Amy is icky because they don't subscribe to what I do. They don't like what I do. They could care less. And I'm going to be icky for them. That's cool. They're not my people. Like attracts like, keep it moving. So in my mind, it starts and stops with the human condition. I genuinely, and I, I mean, I would love to ask you a question in turn because You've now spent time with me in person. We met in Florida. We've done this and you show up to where I go every week. So I feel like you could answer this. Call me on my nonsense if you think I'm crazy. In earnest, I think it oozes from my pores. I actually give a crap. And you cannot fake caring 
And in a world of the work that I do, that's all about people and a lot of emotions and really big decisions. So the person that I decide to hire is going to make or break what happens with my business of growth. Oh, and my career and the fact that there's so much turnover in sales, I don't want to get it wrong. And I'm ready to like catapult to the next level. Those two things are not lost on me. And I actually genuinely care. And I'd like to think that that emanates from every part of my being. I, I think it totally does. I've got a question that I want to ask behind that, but was it always that way for you? Or was that maybe a part of a new version that changed? No, this has always been me. Cool. Like, I love it. I care too much. That's the feedback that I've received is you care too much. And I'm like, I can't change how I feel. So let's go back to my original thing. Feelings aren't wrong. They're not right. That's the one feeling that I don't, I don't care to understand. I know who it, like, I'm really good with it. That's like one of the few things that I really, really am good with that. I don't want to iterate at all. I will never change that. I care. And I will never change that. I care too much. Now I might change how I show up, but I will mm-hmm. never, ever, ever change the fact that I care. Cause that is what makes me special. I actually care. I, I, completely agree with that. And that's why uh, for listeners, I, I've been wanting to have Amy on for months, but I, every weekend, I, every Thursday, I show up to Thursday night sales and keep hearing more and more that I'm like, man, I just got new questions and I've got maybe 10% of the questions that I wanted to ask out of the way so far. But I think you sense this in the community that's getting built there. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how do you think about building community in this digital world and specifically in how you've shown up in Thursday night sales, because it's been one of the most magical things that I've seen in terms of people of all levels at stages of their career from multi founders with successful exits. When I was playing golf with Wayne uh, in Florida to you know, people saying like, yeah, I was driving Uber a few weeks ago and I'm now trying to figure out how do I break into sales or I was in uh, an educator and like, I just see a new path for myself and everybody coming together as a community to support each other, to learn, to grow, to develop. And so how do you think about building community in today's digital world? I don't. I mean, and I'm not trying to be cute. Like, I'm not trying to be cheeky. I don't think about that question at all. You know what I think about? And it's the same thing. When I would be interviewing for roles, whether it's sales leadership, sales, like, I don't care. This is always who I was. And I would break a few rules about being as direct as I am. Um, Because what you see is what you get (laughs) in front of or behind the scenes. But uh I've never approached anything I've ever done with the end result in mind. And I know, how dare I say that? Yes, I have goals. I'm not an idiot, but I'm not cashing my checks before they are ever even written. I'm not spending my money before it's ever deposited into my account. Like that's just not how I am. And, And by the way, for those that are listening that are, I'm not mad at you. Do you like, good. Does it work for you? Great. And if it does, awesome. We can be different and that's okay. For me personally, I don't think about that. I think about why am I doing this and do I care? Because if I don't, I won't. And so um, there's something about me that feels very 
passionately is probably an understatement. I care a whole lot about this. I'm at this stage in my career where I've learned a lot. I'm in the same book as all the people that join us. I'm just in different chapters, right? And when I look back to how the story can read, I know that it's going to be a disaster. And there's something about helping people get out of their own way or helping people. It's not even always about getting their own way, being better, doing whatever. I don't care. It's just like that thing about the fact that I'm not starting my career. I'm in a very different part of my career and I've learned a lot. I've messed up a lot. I've mastered a lot as a result of those mess ups that, and, and the things that I've mastered, they actually work. And I know that sounds really like arrogant to say out loud, but it's true. If you show up where I come to do that, then I will meet you more than in the middle to help because that will and that care like attracts like. So it's like a magnet when you do that. So like the word community, which now is becoming like the same thing to me, like personal brand. It makes me want to gag because somebody figures out like, oh, it could be successful. So I want that too, but I'm going to totally bastardize it. And it just like really irritates me. Different podcast, different day, different conversation. But for me about this, it's like that Notting Hill movie where Julia Roberts is in front of Hugh Grant at the library or not the library, but the bookstore that he owns. And she's like, and she's this major actress and they fall in love. I'm spoiling the movie for those that have not seen it. And she says, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to like her. And I, that's how I envision myself. Like whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's at Thursday night sales, wherever it is, like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a group of people asking them to lean in so we can get better together. And mm-hmm. that's really, and I, I think that that comes through. And when that comes through, that's where safety is created. That's where openness is created because like attracts like, and Scott and I have had lots of conversation behind the scenes about being, it's hard to be us sometimes. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we overshare. Sometimes that feels really weird to overshare and expose parts of yourself that you didn't even think that you would be talking about, let alone in front of a group of 150 people, let alone like there are these feelings that people don't realize, but it's always worth it. Even when it's the hardest, because you watch people blossom, because you watch people care, because you watch then people fraction off and help each other. It's like compounding efforts. And so when I think about how I think about your question, I don't think about it. I just think about showing up. And the minute that that showing up doesn't feel good anymore, I won't do it. If I don't feel safe, I'm not going to do it. And I don't care about money or all that stuff. Like it follows. If you do things for the right reasons and you do it consistently and you pour your whole self into it, that's always been my formula. These are always the, the conversations I had when I interviewed or with new ventures. I don't care. I know what to do. I know what the work looks like. For the things I don't know what to do, I'll get the help that I need and it'll work out. And if it doesn't, cool. I'll learn from that and figure it out. I didn't know what I was getting into with Thursday night sales. It, the term community wasn't even really like a thing then. And I got invited by Scott because he created with Justin Walsh and, and Justin couldn't do it that week. And 
Scott needed a backup and I got thrown into the deep end and the rest is history. Cause I saw this special thing where it's like, people are generally coming together and nobody has the answers and we're all trying to figure it out together. Sign me up. Like I'm here for this. And along the way, I've been through some, some other weird times. Like maybe I have something to lend that could be helpful. And Oh, by the way, Scott and I are very different people. I learn from him all the time and the chat and the slack and the, this, and then the behind the scenes loveliness, this podcast would never happen with me. I mean, it would be happening, but it would not, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that you didn't show up to where I was and how you lean in and give. And those are the compounding efforts. And so I think when we have sponsors that come to us and they're like, what do I get for it? Or um, when somebody comes my way and they're like, what to expect? It's like, you know how you're going to get something out of this is when you show up in earnest. And if you can't do that, we're not the crew for you. Like, that's just like, simply put, we're just not, this is a, it is a very special collection of people. And I can always tell for the people that like, it's their first time they get hooked or they don't. And it's black and it's white. There's not a lot of gray area. You love it or you don't like it. And for those that don't like it, that's okay. There's, Lots of other community out there and find what's right for you. It's kind of like finding a partner, finding a therapist, finding a friend, finding a business, finding a job. I don't care. You just have to like get that alignment. So I love it. Got my blood pressure up because you're talking about something that I care so deeply about, but I don't know if that answered your question or not, or I just went on like some tangent. No, this is, it's so good because I, I think it talks to that key point of making people feel valued, showing up caring authentically and not saying, how do I go do this thing so I can make my next million dollars? But how do I go do this thing and share and show up and help people? And I, I've got to call it out because you you mentioned it, you slid it in there, but helping people feel seen, heard and understood, valued and validated is so critical. And being able to show up there with somebody that, that has your tenure, your experience, your wisdom, same with Scott, I think is just what is so powerful to say, Hey, I'm going to hop on a role play. We're going to like role play your interview with you in front of a hundred people. Like we're going to get you ready for this thing. And we're going to give you some tough feedback spoken with all the peace and love, uh, as you like to say is so powerful. And I think that is where authenticity is so powerful in leadership. So I've got two rapid fire questions for you. Uh, as we wrap up, you've mentioned a few times in a couple TNS sessions there are two leaders that you'd fall on the sword for out of a ton. Can you give us one or two qualities that set them apart from the, you know, 50, 100 plus other leaders you've worked with? They're the only two that actually took the time to see me, understand me, care about me, value me, hear me, and validate me. I love it. And what is your personal definition of success today? Oh my God, that's not rapid fire. I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, All I can say is it's layers deep. It's not just about the money. And it has a lot to do with feelings for me. And Mm -hmm. and that's, uh, those are the things that come up. The descriptors, I would have to spend a lot more time exploring that to be very precise with the words that I would use. That's good. Well, I, I love also hearing. that. I'm actually making a difference like that. Like, so now as I'm now, as that's coming up, whatever I do, it has to matter. It has to make a difference. It has to like pack a punch. It, I, I don't, 
like the surface. I've never liked the surface and the things that I do, I like the magic that happens below the surface and that's success mm. for me. Oh, that's, I, I, I know we're getting juicier on that one. I like that a lot. Amy, where do folks find you? Um, well, I tend to uh, be uh, talk out loud, so to speak, to a lot of folks in a lot of places. LinkedIn, AvenueTalentPartners.com, ThursdayNightSales.com, um, Twitter.com. I mean, I'm, I'm in all the places. I'm a cool. very rare name of Amy Volus. There aren't a lot of other Amy Voluses out there. So if you Google me, you're going to be able to find all sorts of different places where I hang out. So awesome. I'm here for the conversation always. We, we will get it linked in the show notes. Join us on ThursdayNightSales.com as well. Thursday evenings, free. Join for as much time as you'd like. And until next time, let's go make today great. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.